So we're joined with the amazing Adam Kokesh. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. We have questions uh, about the military that we're going to go over um, because mm-hmm. I think it's very interesting where you came from, uh, especially military, militarily wise, and uh, kind of how you got to where you are now. Um, which is a giant supporter of what is what what does it say? How do you say it? Uh, um, I'm about as anti-militarism as you can get. Yeah, that and you want the dissolution of the United States government in a what is it formal fashion? No, not a formal well, I'm fashion. Glad, I'm glad you put it by the objective rather than the means first, because if you say Adam Kokesh ran for president, people are gonna think I'm an asshole, just like the rest of those psychopaths. <laughs> trying to grab the ring of power, but no, our platform uh, in running for the Libertarian Party presidential nomination was to dissolve the federal government in a peaceful, orderly, responsible bankruptcy process to leave us 50 independent states and, of course, up to 562 sovereign nations and 14 independent territories now, sovereign states. Um, I think there are a few others you can count that might break away in this first step in the process, but it's the first step in what I see as the future of humanity in uh, localization or decentralization applied to geographical-based government functions. If I could say it any more nerdily, I would. But the idea of like, what about your government needs to be tied to people by location? You know, if you want to be part of a health insurance collective, if you want to be part of an unemployment collective, if, if you, you know, all of these things that thanks to the digital era we live in, we can create voluntary collectives all over the world globally that have nothing to do with geography. So the idea of being tied together under a single large authority of the United States federal fucking government, I mean, really? Are we still doing this? This is more embarrassing at this point than England having a fucking monarchy and still kissing their ring. Seriously, we, we still have a president and, and, and a U.S. Congress and Senate. I can't imagine a greater debt of thieves and crooks and, and, and low lives. I mean, they, they are the most capable psychopaths in the world who pull the levers on this fundamentally evil system that is a product of the archaic concept of a government being something that exercises its authority as a means of owning territory and just gets, you know, bigger and bigger. And within that territory, as we know, what is government today? It's a monopoly on force. They, they get to do things, get to do. I mean, they do things, whether they get to or not, sometimes they get in trouble. But generally being government means, you know, you can steal and call it taxation. You know, when you screw up or hurt people, uh, whether it's by accident or not, war or the police state or violating people's rights, you don't have to say you're sorry. And the only accountability is, well, well, if you don't like it, you can vote for someone else in two years or in four years, and then you can't. Whoops, I guess we get to just keep fucking you over until we die, you know? Like, no, it's, a, yeah, and yeah, until the system dies, until we learn better, until we evolve past this. 
And that that's what this is. And in, in a way, the uh, presidential campaign is, you know, why, just so we're clear, I'm not putting on the ring of power. We throw it in the fire on day one. That's what you do. You, give, you I've seen the Hobbit. God damn it. What do you do <laughs> when someone gives you the ring of power? You throw it on fire. You don't put it on. It's going to mess you up. Right. Uh, so, you, you know, that that's the idea is that I would resign on day one and uh, a vote for me, uh, you know, if I win the Libertarian Party nomination in 24, perhaps. Uh, would be a vote to dissolve the federal government to do this. And it's a you know legitimate option to the current system. And really, it's kind of like, hey, let's do this the easy way, because if we don't apply a solution as big as this goddamn problem soon, uh, it's it's going to be its own problem. You know, like it's it, you know, this thing can only last so long. Um, you know, we're going to be doing things the hard way if if we if we don't pay attention to this existential threat of the unsustainability of the federal government of the United States of America today. And when it comes to the militarism thing, you know, uh, breaking up the United States military would get us to a much more American defense model. And that is that the American founders wanted a no standing army. They were very explicit about that. They wanted a decentralized militia based defense. And aside from all the, I mean, it, it really is an unavoidable fact at this point that the military of the United States of America, no matter how hawkish you are, is wasteful, spends way too much money to get way too little done. Even if you want all of the effective deterrence to say that it is spending your tax dollars effectively, or even that the foreign adventurism of the global war on terror has had sufficient justification in terms of defense. Those are just, you get, get the fuck out of my face with that shit. You're going to get laughed out of every room going, Oh no, the war in Iraq was a good idea. Cause look at all of the, no, no, no. And Afghanistan was totally worth it. $14 trillion. I mean, we could have ended world hunger a few times over and, you know, solved you know, all these massive global problems and given everybody in the world free solar energy for it was like, but no, war in Afghanistan. Good idea. I mean, I'm making up those comparisons, but it's something yeah. like what, $14 trillion. Like really, you know, how many times for how long could we just end world hunger? Like indefinitely with that money. I mean, it's, it, that's, that's the, that's the, the sickness and the insanity that militarism today represents. Yeah. Are you optimistic for a, uh, like a, uh... I guess the oh, yeah. decentralization of uh, the federal government, do you think it's uh, possible in maybe the near future? Yes, generally. Uh, I, I don't want to say that that is the inevitable way forward. If I may try to answer your question by kind of backing it up, like the first way that I interpreted it as, you know, are you optimistic about humanity continuing to progress and get more peaceful over time and eventually achieve what we as libertarians would describe as a free or voluntary or ethical society? Fuck yes, absolutely. And, and on this count, I think I bring to the conversation around libertarianism a bit of a unique historical perspective that I've synthesized from a combination of my study of the work of Professor Stephen Pinker at Harvard, who did Better Angels of Our Nature and a great TED Talk called The Surprising Decline in Violence, who has more or less proven irrefutably academically that violence is on the decline over the course of human history. Your odds of, and, and you just think about it, you know, stop and appreciate this like fundamental, beautiful measure of human progress. And, and what is civilization? We don't kill each other all the time. <laughs> you know, like we work together, yeah. we cooperate. 
And, and I would say at, at a deeper level, almost spiritual, but maybe more scientific that, you know, this is fundamentally connected to the nature of life itself. Multicell organisms beat out single celled organisms, human societies that cooperate as opposed to fight all the time. We're going to outcompete those that are always at war with themselves or each other, or have a high level of violence within their societies. Trade is good. Cooperation is good for life, for the, the, the life force of the universe itself. And I think it is, it is a clear part of the evolution of intelligent life as well to, to learn how to kill each other and then to learn that it's a bad idea, you know, and, and we're getting to this point where, I mean, today we, we, we do kind of take it for granted. We live at the most peaceful times in human history by fucking far. I mean, nasty, brutish and short has now been demonstrated statistically as like, yeah, shit was really fucked up. Life is good. We have it so good compared to all other humans who have ever existed. We have it so good. Absolutely. And to think about what could derail that really fundamental curve of human progress, that beautiful arc of history that, you know, MLK would describe as bending towards justice. You know, that what could derail that? And I don't want to say it's inevitable because, yeah, an asteroid could hit the planet, or a meteor could blow us up, or, you know, we get just a handful of psychopaths. This is why I'm, I'm also very passionate about uh, being anti-nuclear weapons, not freedom for nuclear energy and even nuclear weapons in a free society and in an abstract sense. Like, yeah, if you can get insurance and there's a reason and support, sure, hypothetically, yeah, I don't know. But governments with nuclear weapons, fuck no. And, and that is, and, and, and generally speaking, uh, nuclear, I should say any kind of nuclear device without appropriate safety protocols. And one of the appropriate safety protocols of anything that's dangerous is don't let government touch it. Everything they touch turns to <laughs> shit and kills people. Don't let government touch the nukes. You know, don't let government touch the food. Don't let government touch the energy, the water, the environment. Like, no, don't your community, your health, your soul, all of these things, you know, separate that. And so when you define government as a coercive entity, as measured by its use of violence and coercion, it's hard not to be optimistic. You know, yeah, we're, we're going to keep dancing forward. Yeah, no, that's I, awesome. Go ahead, Typo. Yeah, I was just going to say, I, like, I, 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 I've kind of remained optimistic uh, a lot. Um, when I, I guess when I first became like a, a I would, you know, like really into libertarianism, I was very not optimistic. I was very pessimistic. Yeah. And I thought like every, the world around me is on fire. Why, why is all this happening? Why is no one like doing anything? Like I thought like we're, we're screwed. The government's going to take control, like everything, like everything. And then now it's like, okay, well now that I've been to the darkest place of like what, what could happen, yeah. let's look for the, the, the small, like, I guess, specks of light that come through. That's like, Oh, maybe, maybe we can get the freedom. <laughs> No, man, it's, it's, it's even deeper than that. And there's a very important, immediate, practical relevancy of this perspective of optimism. And a lot of people, when they wake up, there is that phase of, of shock and negativity and pessimism, like having the wool pulled from your eyes and going, okay, now I see the world for how it is. And it's a lot more fucked up than I thought. And I face, I'm facing up to that. And when you get a deeper understanding and you see this, this general positive arc of history, 
even if you don't have as much faith in it as I do, as, as being really fundamental to the nature of life and intelligent life itself, you still see a lot of possibility for progress and optimism. And, and you have to see at least, you know, even the progress in the story of America. And the, the reason it's so important is that it's, it's relatively easy to wake people up. To, to hey but hey the world's more fucked up than you thought yeah i know i don't want to look though <laughs> you know well i don't yeah. want to look at that all i'm going to do is be pessimistic and this is where government gets you government does it, it, as a as we know it today is the coercive monopolies that rule the world is a fundamentally evil institution institutions will do everything they can to maintain their their criminal rackets and they will lie, they will cheat, they will steal, they will kill, and they will cover it up. But if they can't cover it up, they can get you to deny that you have any alternative. They can make you feel disempowered. They can make you pessimistic. And I think when people wake up, they kind of go by this you know, superficial, simplified analysis in one of two ways. They get pessimistic and they check out or they get resigned. Or they stay optimistic and they stay you know, I, I don't want to stay in the fight because it's not a fight. You know, we don't fight government away. You know, we don't fight fire with fire. You fight it with water. You don't fight violence and institutionalized evil with, with hatred. You do it with love. You love the people who are deficient, who's, who, who's psychological and, and love deficiencies in their own heads, and their own hearts, lead them to that evil behavior or at least that denial behavior, which is, you know, a form of evil in itself, right? To, to see... And, and, and then they get they, they make you complicit because to passively accept that evil is 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 evil and if, if not complicit it is also a form of evil yeah no that makes sense it's like that that saying what you're talking about is we're bending towards the arc of justice or that MLK quote it's like that saying where it's uh you know, good times create weak men, weak men create hard times, hard times create uh, strong men kind of thing. Have you that, heard the, the that? Four generations, there's the four generation cycle theory. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of that's kind of how it goes. And go ahead. Well, no, it's, it's interesting as an analysis I've studied. And it carries a lot of weight and, and explains a lot of the cycles in, in human history uh, that are generational based. Yeah. But uh, I that can that really can be broken down legitimately over the last I don't know how many thousands of years, tens of thousands of years, mm -hmm. on a generational rhythm because human progress has been relatively flat on a long timeline. But even there, it's still been exponential. And I think that point, the reason I like I never really latched onto that idea. I think it's becoming irrelevant. The reason I think it's becoming irrelevant is very, to me very interesting. But because that that exponential curve is now hitting the, the, the blade of the, the hockey slope. stick part where the human experience gets really, really interesting. At least it accelerates, you know, with technology and just one fundamental metric. And this is what's been stolen from us by modern governments is this, you know, the last hundred years of technology driven progress in terms of quality of life. You know, how much does an hour of human labor produce in terms of goods and services that people want to consume? Well, with the technology we have today fully unleashed, with, without it being sequestered under corporatism and banking government bullshit, uh, you know, we, we would be so much better off. But even if we were just allowed to keep what we're capable of today, you know, and, and part of this curve is life extension, you know, big part of it. 
Um, you know, I'm 39. I expect to be a hundred, even if, if I was born, you know, 60 years ago and be, be, you know, dying at, at be 99 today. But, uh, Where's medical? Med, this drives medical technology, you know, and the you know study Aubrey de Grey when he describes his longevity escape velocity. When we figure out how to increase life expectancy by more than one year per year, guess what? Uh, nobody dies of old age by choice anymore. That's that's <laughs> what that means. Like yeah, that's yeah. we are on the verge of that like stop riding motorcycles you fucking morons like seriously <laughs> skydiving it's not worth it you're about to be and and just a couple of cool converging technologies you know flying cars you know little you know crotch rocket quadcopters that that's just all here it's just a matter of implementation and getting it out there and getting government out of the way with the regulatory bullshit that, that chokes that up but uh 3d printing molecular in labs already just like Nintendo systems, like from my childhood, they get cheaper and smaller over time, right? Yep. So imagine that your molecular 3D printers will eventually be small enough to fit on your fingertip. A molecular 3D printer can eventually, and I, this is my speculation, maybe the technology is not quite here, but you can imagine this, is, is going to be able to, to take molecules out of the air and rearrange them into whatever you want. And that 3D printer on your fingertip, maybe it's sucking pollution out of the air. This is how we get all the, the fossil fuel smoke smog out of the, the environment, right? Out of the air. And this is, I'm not making that up. That's actually the thing people are, are working on. It's proved as a viable concept that we can de-pollute. I'm not that, that I'm, 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 I'm a hippie. I lo- I'm a fucking tree hugging hippie and I love the environment, but I'm still a capitalist. You know, let's let, let human values. How do we create value out of this? Like let's preserve value. But like, am I, we're, we're, we're we're developing the ways to, to turn the to go to the trash islands in the oceans with floats and turn them into Bitcoin. You know, like <laughs> oh yeah, we can do that. So the idea you're in, in computers, and Facebook just unveiled. They have the Facebook Glass. Their answer to Google yeah. Glass is like the full Glass virtual immersive. Like fuck, Facebook's the one that's doing this. We couldn't get to open, so we got to get past the tech giant corporate. They're they're product of government. They're extensions. Exactly. Of government effectively, all these tech giants. And uh, so I'm like, fuck, we couldn't get to the, the pop-up computer thing with before getting government and corporatism out of the way. It couldn't be blockchain-based and open source. It had to be, fuck, Facebook-based goggles. Somebody's really, going to do, Somebody's gonna do it. Somebody's got to do it. At least it's happening. Elon yeah. Musk putting chips in your brain. That's you know what wild. that means? Eventually... That 3D printer that can print at the molecular level out of thin air on your fingertip is going to be controlled by your brain directly. And you will be able to literally think and zap things into existence (laughs) from you like that. We're about to be fucking wizards. And you know what? It sounds crazy. It sounds crazy by itself. But I'm going to make it sound really reasonable really fast now. Imagine your ancestors just a couple hundred thousand years ago, complete pre-technology looking at us right now. We're fucking wizards to them. Yeah. Well, especially yeah. just look at the last hundred years. What, well, what you, and you can see that's a curve. Yeah. Moore's law, you know, computing power doubles. Our, it's driving that whole thing. And I know it's not precise, but clearly the progress of technology is exponential. And this gets to the, you know, my optimism and my faith as well. You know, 
all those things that have driven that decline in violence. And I, I see, uh, you know, a lot of really great ways that technology is disincentivizing coercion and violence and encouraging uh, a society of accountability. Like I'm all for, I'm actually kind of pro surveillance, not surveillance state, but you know, I want cameras around. I want AI watching me for my own safety. If I have a heart attack, I want a drone to drop an eight defibrillator, whatever the fuck it's called, out of the sky and zap me back to life. You know, (laughs) I want that. I want to be able to turn that shit off in my bedroom or whenever I want my private space, my own property. The thing is with government controlling it, you don't get either of those things. They use the, they spy on you to hurt you and then they take away your privacy. And it's like, fuck, we're using this technology backwards. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, it's very true. Like, um, People are always worried about, you know, technology, you know, doing whatever the crazy thing. And I think they're not worried about technology doing it. They're thinking about the wrong person having the control over that technology. And right now, the people that do have the control over technology like that is the government, who, which, as you said, force uses force and coercion to get what they want. And I don't know. It's an interesting concept. I never really I mean, I'm probably more the pessimist in the podcast of this show. Uh, so type was the optimist and I'm the pessimist. But when you put it in situations like that, and that's why I brought up the the four. But you you uh, bite stages. the bullet, he drinks the whiskey. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I bite the bullet and drink the whiskey. He just drinks the whiskey and has a good time. Uh, but, you know, it, that's why I brought it up is because I, I, I agree with you on the fact that I think it's kind of getting phased out and we're getting to the point where, yeah, we're – we might, it's like what you were saying with uh, nuclear weapons, like government shouldn't have them and, and things like that. And uh, that's the danger that it could set us back. But I think even if it sets us back, the jump afterwards, like is going to be insane because we we have people that are going to grow up accustomed to things like this. If, if something like yeah. a nuclear war breaks out or something like that, I'm not saying that it will, but if it doesn't, that exponential curve that you were talking about, I think we're right on the precipice of it turning from its axis of, you know, be, you know, being very straight and, you know, launching fucking sky high. Yeah. And, and those of us who are primarily concerned with politics tend to put it to primary in our worldview. Um, and, and we can see it as sort of a, a parallel channel of human progress that, that, that I wouldn't even call politics. I would call social organization. Right. You have social organization, you have technology, you have maybe industrial development, you have culture, you have arts, you have uh, quality of life, you have medicine, you know, the, the, the maybe connectivity technology, space exploration. I mean, you kind of break it down different, but I'm tr- trying to put it in like sort of big, broad categories where we see politics in its place as only, you know, one chunk of the human experience of progress because we we really do tend to get consumed with it because politics is about dominating other people as we do it right now or as the society as a whole does it right now right it's about authority and control uh, as opposed to cooperation and and, and and you know free trade and commerce and and love and, and respect for each other's rights as you know i think we as libertarians would want to see so getting to that gets us back to decentralization and, and localization. I want to say uh, first that, that the presidential campaign, like, hey, let's dissolve the biggest empire of government in the world first and, 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 and atomize it, localize it, decentralize it, 
get it to more geographically. And the cool thing about this is we don't have to argue about the size and, and, and scope of government at all. You know, and libertarians have been really fooled, I think, into uh, minarchy and anarchy as these, these options. And it's like, no, we're voluntarists. Both anarchy and minarchy are wrong because they're central planning solutions to say we should have nothing called government or we should have only this particular model of minimal government. It's like, no, government can be as big or as small as you want, as long as it's voluntary. I have my personal preferences, but who am I to impose them on you or any other community that you choose to be a part of voluntarily? And, yeah. and decentralization uh, or decentralization politically, localization solves that problem for us as libertarians. We don't have to argue issues anymore. It doesn't matter. You want to live in a, a community without guns? Cool. Ban guns on your private property. Try to, you know, try to f- get neighbors who want to ban guns on theirs. Maybe you can form a, maybe form a new city. You know, start a brand new city where guns aren't allowed. Please go for it. Have that experiment. Might not be good, but you know what? I want you to have that right. You know, I, have, I have more grotesque examples of this, of course, to make fun of every stripe in the political rainbow. But you can have your own whatever. You have the right to create that whatever you want. And in a sense, that political run for president to dissolve the Fed is a top-down solution. And you think, what's a more bottom-up solution that's really sort of in line with the message? And this doesn't mean it's not worthwhile pursuing the promotional value of, you know, going for the top-down for the benefit of that alone. (laughs) But the it, the, the bottom-up solution for me is Gardenia here, where, where we're declaring sovereignty on July 4th this year. It's just a coincidence. Everybody is free that weekend. But no, we are going to end up sharing the same <laughs> birthday as America. Uh, we're, we're so American that we had to come up with a new term for it. So it's Gardenian, because Gardenia is short for the Garden of Freedom, which is the name of the, the independent, sovereign, constitutional republic of the kingdom of the Garden of Freedom in perpetuity. I am, of course, King Adam Charles Kokesh the first. I have a much longer title, but I'll spare you for now. And and it's it's a little tongue in cheek to make fun of the authority of government, right. but it's a legitimate experiment as our, or I should say, exercise of sovereignty that I'm doing as a micro nation or starting a micro nation uh, where you know we don't we don't have uh, you know any, if you want to say, well, I don't know, we we declare independence. On uh, July 4th, I think on, on July 5th, we declare war against the United States of America and then surrender on July 6th uh, for like a multi-billion foreign aid package. That would be an or, or we declare ourselves a narco-terrorist state and then we'll have the CIA drop in pallets of cash on the back of the That's a development plan. No, but in a, in a very serious way, there, there are a lot of micronations that have been done in protests. You know, I'm a big fan of the story of the Conk Republic. Um, there, but then there, there are complete parody and, and total joke microstates, micronations, all the way up to very serious endeavors and very successful endeavors. One very bit larger serious one is I'm a fan of is Lieberland, Bit Yedlika, yeah. working on a slice of land in Central Europe where they don't quite have legal access. So it's it's that's the it's not I can't say it's a success yet. Um, but then like Sealand, where they occupied an abandoned British sea fort. It was outside of their territorial waters, and they've more or less been left alone there for decades. You know, so what happens if I say, "Hey, fuck you, American government"? Uh, the, the same authority by which you, or the same the same legitimacy from which you, you know your authority comes from, is it you did someone declared their independence and said, "Screw you, King George, we don't want to be a part of your empire." Well, um, I did the same thing in my words today, and it has just as much weight and and validity as anything else that's ever been done. 
I'm going to, you know, we're going to do a formal declaration and we're going to you know, notify have, private did, parties. Did you, you sign a document? Yeah, right. Well, I, I well, actually, um, the, we're, we're, we're going to be like the American Revolution, but better because we, we're, we're committed to nonviolence. And that's, that's the main thing is that we are, we are demanding our sovereignty um, and, and we may defend it, uh, you know, in, 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 in a peaceful resistance. But we will never, in, in the exercise of our sovereignty, uh, do harm to another human being unless there's an immediate self-defense situation. Right. Um, and and even then, I'm 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 not a pacifist. I believe in the right to self-defense. But I, I even among most people who believe in the right to self-defense, uh, uh, I'm on the side of extreme restraint. I'm a fan of yeah. non-lethal self-defense, especially. I carry pepper spray as a felon. I'm not allowed to have a firearm anyway. But when I did carry a firearm, I always had pepper spray also, because I think it's irresponsible to say I could go to deadly force, but I won't have this means of escalating that might save a life. Even though I'm justified in taking a life, I can preserve a life. So that's often the case, you know, the, the, the least force necessary. Um, but uh, th this gets me also to one bigger point from what you said if this system really is unsustainable and we see that we are on the verge of a whole other reality, if only because of technology driving this and, you know, technology is the activity you know, that touch like all of these major things must inherently touch other things, you know, art and culture and science and, and, and industrialization and politics. They're, they're, they all have, they're, they're like, you know, I don't know, eight superheroes on a team together, you know, something like they all have, they all have a certain power and they all have to work together to advance humanity. And right now politics is really dragging shit. And, and we have to like those of us who think of politics as, as with a certain primacy that it doesn't deserve, we put it in its place and we go, fuck, we got to catch up with all, everybody else. Like we're, we're doing government, like, you know, uh, this ancient evil coercive model no, for those of us who care about politics and want to be leaders in the realm of politics, if only thought leaders or leaders by example or, or whatever it is, media producers, to say, we got to be thinking bigger. We got to be offering a, a real alternative that, that's at least uh, keeping up with science, you know, and um, I, I would say, you know, I don't want to try to evaluate all these realms, you know, but uh, right now, science and technology well, I mean, they're all tight. Like government, what's what's government's role on the superhero team right now? They're the ones that walk around and you know flick everybody in the dick when they're not looking. You know, like that's that's who government is on a team of superheroes of these great dynamics of human progress. Or really, they're more the ones like kicking them in the kicking them in the balls really hard, you know, constantly. Because you know, why can't technology? Why don't we all have self flying cars by now? Why haven't we cured cancer? Like, why is technology not solved these problems? Oh, because government. Right. Yeah. It's like, it's like, very, it's like this drastic drop off. Like we've gone so gotten so big so quickly, like technology, technologically wise. And then it's just like this flat slope that we're plateauing and we have things that jump out every once in a while, but it's a very flat lined because of the regulate regulatory, you know, branch of the federal government. And they're just like, Nope, fuck you. You can't go any further than this. Well, that gets to what is the purpose of government? Because the purpose of government is not to retard the development of, of human civilization. It's to keep the super rich getting richer, keep the powerful powerful at the expense of the rest of us. 
and they're doing a great job. Uh, <laughs> but the consequence of them being successful is that they fuck up everything else. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. What, um, go ahead. I was uh, I was just gonna ask you. You've been going on for a while, but we had a couple questions. Um, what? Sorry. What? Yeah, you're fine. No, I, I loved, loved it. I loved, I loved, I loved it. every I loved second. Every second. I was like, ah, oh. <laughs> yeah. And but um, you you you're a Marine Corps veteran, and uh, that's kind of how we knew you is how we found out about you. Um, just because we're veterans too, so I think people wanted to tell us about you. <laughs> but when when did you join the Marine Corps? Like how long ago was that? <laughs> I don't know how old you are. Fuck, man, You're trying to make me feel old. I'm 39. Uh, I actually enlisted at 17 in uh, 1999 in the delayed entry program as a reservist. Uh, went to boot camp in 2000 and. Um, my plan was to, to do to defer college for a year to do all my training at once, do enlisted time as a reservist so I could be an officer later and still say I'm former enlisted without having to spend a whole lot of time picking up cigarette butts. <laughs> and uh, while I was while I was in college, uh, so I was I was I was reserves, uh, field artillery, uh, November battery, uh, five fourteen Pico Rivera actually worked on an M198 howitzer, the, the ones that shoot, uh, you know, 100-pound artillery shells. That's some ancient fucking technology. I can't, yeah. like, we're walking around with smartphones shooting cannons. It's kind of <laughs> embarrassing. Uh, now that I think about it. Um, but, and these weren't even self-propelled. The Army had the self-propelled ones. Ours were towed by trucks, towed I know. in place yeah. artillery. Like, yeah. I mean, even now, just thinking about the, in a, like, hey, they we need to those. kiss people. What technology do we have? I don't know. Well, we could hire a lot of people with clubs to beat them to death slowly. Let's do that. Well, how about we just have big artillery instead? Okay, let's do that. Fine. Yeah. Well, uh, I, was know, with, I was with 311, and we still have the towed artillery cannons. Like, <laughs> still, like, still yeah. today or did yeah. when you were in? Well, it did when I was in, and I was 2000. I got out in 2016. That's when I was with 311. Pretty current. God damn. <laughs> I mean, am i off like i was is it you pull the string gun go boom it's still that yeah, shit it's still same thing you know everybody it rammed around with a, you have a rubber plunger yes you have a, a, a tray that two marines yeah. pick up on either side you use your thumbs to brace so the round doesn't roll off you don't thunk it up right in front of the barrel and then the guy third guy comes in with a rubber plunger and jams in the ogive the the impressionable brass ring into the rifling of the cannon yep. and then another guy comes in with the powder and they slam the big metal door and then they put a little primer bullet shaped thing into it and then a string on a hook and you stand back and you pull the string and the gun go boom it's that it's one yep. of those yeah, they still do it full string go boom it. full string go boom cover your balls cover your head full string go boom it, it's fucking i mean if killing people for government wasn't dumb enough, do, do we not have to make it so insanely, <laughs> obviously wasteful and stupid? Like the, the glorification of militarism is the ultimate. Per I, I make a very important distinction between like a warrior and a soldier, whereas yeah. a warrior is a, is, is a noble endeavor of putting your life on the line to, to, to protect people who can't protect themselves, to defend your family, your community, 
but to be a soldier is to kill for politician and it's fucking pathetic it's to be a violent cuck and yep. to to give up your sovereignty that way over something that as a man or even as a human being is something sacred that they want to protect other life and and to give that over to government is the sickest perversion of everything that's good to be human and it is so holding back humanity and this is just one example but anyway so i was in college uh in november battery 514 doing you know one week in a month and then uh and funny my my last name being kokesh of course is a reservist my nickname is it obvious yet kotex okay um so (laughs) I volunteered to go to Fallujah in 2004 with the civil affairs team. We saw that uh, our unit wasn't getting called up and I joined the Marine Corps because I watched full metal jacket and I wanted to be the first kid on my block with a confirmed kill. Yeah. You too. It's supposed to be an anti-war movie, man. Kubrick, you fucked up because it still like glorifies. They still use it. They still use it. They still use it in boot camp. I mean, for me, part of it was the, 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 the masochism of, well, this is an experience that could drive, spoiler alert, someone to suicide, you know. <laughs> so I want that challenge. Mm-hmm. And I get it. Uh, I was I was very disappointed, like from the <laughs> beginning. Like it was it was challenging, but it wasn't like hard. No. I mean, I'm probably so hey, we'll talk I, about I, that. I went to boot camp in 2000. You went in 2012? What was that it? To yeah. when did you go? When did you go, man? Yeah. My 782 gear was chainmail. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, young Thor. <laughs> it was hard back in my day. It was hardcore. None of this pushy shit. Stress. I bet you had stress cards in boot camp, didn't you? No, no, no not yet. Marine Corps still doesn't have those. Okay, that's a, that's an army thing though. They actually yeah. do that. Yeah, like, yeah, they you? actually the do thing that. Boot camp is to, to to screen people who can't handle stress because you don't want them in combat with you. Yeah, no but shit. at the same at the same think, time, at the same yeah. time, they don't they don't get rid of those people that can't handle stress. They just, yeah, right. Yeah, that's yeah. That, that's one of the stress cards. You just hit. Oh, oh, oh no, I'm, it's, I'm not, and it's just, it's funny too. When you're like in the military, you want to like that's when you first become critical of government. Is because you're mm-hmm. watching all this around you, and you're like, what the like? What are they doing? Like, what is going on? Why? Like, Why? Can't understand anything? Like, there's no. Sometimes there's literally no explanation, just because someone said so, and you're like, what the fuck is going on? And that's when you like, it's like, they train you right, instant obedience to orders, instant mm-hmm. unthinking reactionary obedience, and there are they- conditions under which hypothetically that is appropriate in endeavors of human communication, but it's not, you're in the military, you do what the politicians say, no matter what, you know, it's, Hey, we're, um, we're, we're building something. And every time I say, uh, go, you have to move your hand or you're going to get a nail through it. You know, like, okay, cool. You know, don't think move your hand, but that's not like, Hey, don't think go kill those people. Like, no, like it's a real perversion uh in, in, a, in a very sick sad way so anyway I, I was in iraq fallujah 2004 i was there for the first battle but not the second which was the big one but that was a big part of the awakening process for me coming home realizing that the second battle was put off to be after the election so bush could get reelected, and as a result about 100 marines died uh, who, who wouldn't have needed to and 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 probably thousands of Iraqis in the city of Fallujah around it. And like being able to look back at my own experience that it was like, 
man, that doesn't sit right. You know, and a lot of veterans who are dealing with that kind of shit drink themselves into bottles and destroy their lives because they can't handle it. And, and, and this is one of the reasons I'm, I'm such a big uh, cannabis and alternative therapies advocate is that, you know, you got to take those ideas controlling you from your subconscious and control them, you know, at least put them in that perspective and be able to identify that. And when you have a troubling experience, if you're not clear in your head, you might not follow the rabbit hole that you need to follow to get to the bottom of it and say, that's the criminal, that's the evil, and make sure that you actually step up as the warrior that humanity needs today to make sure the next generation learns from our mistakes in this generation. And so this is why uh, I just started a 501c3 nonprofit called Homefront Battle Buddies, and our mission is to create a community of veterans uh, through online organizing and in-person retreats to facilitate pursuing alternative healing therapies uh, and and transition to civilian life. And so uh, as the C3, we get to spend a lot of money facilitating and, uh, you know, have legal separation from anything that might be illegal. But our first retreat is coming up here in May where cannabis is uh, legal in Gardenia. And that's, well, everything's legal in Gardenia, but also in the state of Arizona, uh, uh, cannabis is, is full rec now. And so we, we have, uh, and this is our board meeting, our board member, uh, sort of formational organizational first retreat. It's not really like a, you know, service retreat. It's a create the organization retreat, yeah. but, um, we've already got a cannabis caterer, you know, nice. and, and <laughs> I won't say for legal reasons yet, but, uh, there are a lot of other, like if the C3, the nonprofit has nothing to do with it, but veterans show up to help each other facilitating, all, like there's going to be, uh, you know, a lot available. I, I, we, we haven't, I, you know, I, I'm the chair and the founder. Uh, I have an executive director. We're in the process of developing all this and inviting uh, people to be board members right now who we've worked with and, and we want to involve with this project. So for now, I'm going to be a little, a little more cautious than, uh, than, than, than otherwise uh, about any potential legal liabilities to, to protect the C3 right. status, but to say we're going to, we're going to facilitate veterans doing cannabis where it's legal i think we're pretty fucking safe you want to take away my c3 status for that oh <laughs> you're getting oh you fucked with the wrong marine if you want to go down that road no 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 uh but uh, you know use us as the battering ram because uh, psychedelics all of the alternative therapies that are relevant to the veterans experience and ptsd are also going to be critical to advancing humanity Dude. past statism and militarism and and, and this, this whole paradigm of conflict and and coercion that we find ourselves in right now the studies right now on psychosyllabin with you know vets with ptsd are insane they are just insane amazing amazing work and it's fucking it's time to start putting them in guys hands it's time to start getting getting vets that experience you know yeah and 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 uh, i love i love that i didn't know that you were doing that make it happen yeah, I didn't know that you were doing that. That's awesome. We're we're down in Phoenix, uh, so we'd love to come, come visit. Up. I'm like two and a half hours away tops if you're in Phoenix. Yeah, I, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> All right, <laughs> text me after this. We'll figure it out. Actually, this weekend would be really good. I'm building a cabin up here, and uh, we're preparing the facility. Uh, I mean, my 10 acres, my homestead that I've wanted to use for a lot of things like this, and this is just I mean, I I also have, uh, you know, geodesic dome business I do here and, you know, all my own fun homesteading projects. 
but um, we, um, th this is like the first big mission for the property. And, uh, you know, we might be developing it out. So maybe we have 10 little tiny homes, like, uh, you know, bunk cabin kind of, you know, loft cabin things. And you actually have, a, a, I mean, the name of the organization is Home Front Battle Buddies. We had 10 of them, you know, two man bunks or, you know, using gender bias ter terms, reminding everyone that we are inclusive of everyone with a military experience, <laughs> even those that don't have penises. Uh, but no, we're, we're making a very deliberate effort to make sure that, uh, that women are included uh, in this. We have uh, you know, a number of women on our board of directors and uh, you know, just like they can take a dick, they can take a joke. So uh, <laughs> we're, we're, we're happy to include women in the spirit of, of this and, and inclusiveness in, in the same way as in the military, but to have uh, a facility developed here where um, you know, we, we could, you know, would, uh, create a model and then set up regional facilities. Uh, you know, this might be where the rubber meets the road in applying some of these early studies and creating, you know, a practical way. And, and again, this doesn't hurt our 501c3 status. At all. I think, I don't know. I'm going to say, I don't know. Don't, don't, don't mess with me over this, but you know, if we, if a 501c3 hosts an event and at the event, two people share mushrooms, you know, is that our is that our liability? No, we're keeping everybody safe and we're doing what we can or what we need to, yeah. to facilitate. If it just so happens that, you know, all the drugs are paid for by the chairman of the board personally, uh, you know, who knows? That's just terrible. We'll see how they get distributed. Uh, but no, we're, we, you get the concept. You know, we are creating a nonprofit yeah. that has a very serious 501c3 tax deductible organization. We want to help people give less money to government. And uh, you, we want to maintain that that legal status and, uh, with what's possible right now, both in terms of where we are with the drug war and uh, a sort of generational understanding of the veterans experience, uh, the, the, the time is uh, is right. Yeah, dude, that's fucking awesome. I love it. That sounds super like that's that's the warrior mentality that you were talking about. People that can give back to people that have gotten screwed over and, you know, put their stuff on the line for it. Sometimes being a warrior is just saying. I will not be intimidated by threats of violence from government in a way that prevents me from doing the right thing to help people and serve humanity to the best of my ability. If I have to be the one that faces that fear, to, and it's not that like real, no. I've been to jail plenty of times. <laughs> you yeah. guys, you guys know my, my civil disobedience history, at least a little bit. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be the guy who goes to jail for getting veterans mushrooms. Yeah, fuck you. Come, bring it on. <laughs> it's not, it's not going to come. I mean, the odds of it actually coming to that are, are very low. I'm not, I'm not trying to be confrontational. This, is, this really yeah. is, uh, you know, very much a, a very peaceful endeavor. And, and, and yeah. what we're doing is creating, uh, I hate to say, the, to use the uh, snowflake term, but a safe space for, I mean, at very least, how many veterans, you know, just and, and even for me, I can't say that I know everything about how to use cannabis to enhance my life. I, yeah. I don't. And I've been I've been using it for years. I would like a lesson. I would like someone to present me with, you know, cannabis caterers, you know, display of all the different ways that you can consume cannabis and get to just pick out for the weekend and experiment. And, and, and for that, uh, you do need a safe space. You want to put yeah. a space that's where and and. and drugs are only a part of it. Uh, my vision for the, the way that we would do these retreats would be much more open source. You know, everybody's got to be there Friday dinner orientation introductions. Here are the options for the weekend. But, yeah. And if, if everybody shows up like, 
oh yeah, we know everything about pot. We'll take some samples, but we don't need a class. Sounds good. Get out of here. Thanks, dude. You know, we'll just hang out. And they, there's one guy there who's a financial advisor and they just want every, everybody wants financial advice all weekend. That's what we got. If that's what we end up facilitating, well, then that's what we end up facilitating. But what we're going to be doing is bringing veterans together in a space that's safe for alternative therapy experimentation, for talk therapy, for talking to each other in a controlled off the record environment. And, and, and really part of it is just outside of government channels. And, and having the freedom to do that as, as we uniquely do at a place like this. And, uh, you know, um, th- there's a big part of it for me uh, is not relevant for me because of my experience as an activist prior to this project with the Rock Veterans Against the War, where uh, I was compelled by conscience at the time to testify publicly about what I had been a part of and what I'd done and what I'd experienced. And I confess not only to recognizing, oh yeah, we were a party to a war crime is the whole thing, but no, like specifically committing war crimes and following the orders that I was given, uh, particularly one night, but at various times and you know how we were ordered to guard detainees. And, and for me, it was sleep deprivation. You know, I've yeah. paid for that. There are a lot of guys, there are a lot of girls even in, in, in the situation where uh, vets going to the VA. You don't know who's listening. Uh-uh. You don't know who they're going to tell. You go to any prof- any licensed professional who's government licensed. You don't know what rules they're really operating under. Can you tell them about that war crime that you committed that you feel guilty about? Can you feel comfortable even 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 if you, even just having to do go through that thought process continuously while seeking therapy through government? No. And, and, and we are going to create a, a broader community and a, and a more sustaining program that, that, you know, through the online organizing, the online community around this, not just the in-person retreat experience, that, that we're able to connect vets uh, in, in such a way that the temptation of government services in this realm you know, is, is almost irrelevant, you know, give me my disability check and fuck off. I don't ever want to go to your VA hospital. <laughs> and whatever, whatever yeah. the, the, and yeah. I think it's, I but think it's really cool to, that you're, to get, that's the chance to balance that. Yeah. 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 I think it's cool that you're building like a, a veteran community. Cause like, I don't I, like veterans when they get around each other, like, I don't know, the atmosphere changes and everyone gets a little <laughs> bit more comfortable around each other. Um, like, especially yeah. like, uh, an example of this, I would say, would be with my dad. Uh, when I was got stationed in 29 Palms, he drove out with me from Illinois, and we drove to 29 Palms together. And we, he wanted to see the base because, you know, he was a radio operator. That's where he did his school. So he thought it'd be cool to, like, see the base. And uh, my dad's, I would just say, just, a, like, his vocabulary changed very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, also, it's just, like, his attitude, um, kind of. Like, I mean, he loved it. He liked like, you know, that's when all of his friends and, you know, I had the privilege of like growing up and being in the military the time I am now where like I can connect with all my friends, at least over like social media or, or text or whatever. And then he, but when, I don't know, when he got there, he thought it was the coolest thing. He started telling stories about the Marine Corps that I never heard before. And I was like, what is going on? Yeah, so, uh, he, yeah he was veterans. excited. He was excited to tell me stories about radio operators because I was a radio operator as well. So he was just sitting there like, do we still use this piece of gear? Do you know what this piece of gear is? Blah, 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 blah. And 
I mean, I'm other- fucking embarrassed about that, like artillery connection. You got out in 2016. They were using the same artillery that we were using when I went through field artillery. Did you have to go to Fort Sill? No, I, I was a radio operator. I was just state. I was just oh, part okay, of sorry, 311. Right. So same unit, yeah, different. Okay, so the actual gun bunnies who do that process, go to Fort Sill. Is that that's still a thing? You, we oh, have yeah. an army training camp yep. to do this to learn how to use these machines that in the year 2000 they were telling us were essentially Vietnam era equipment, and yeah. you're saying they're still using it today. M198 yeah. howitzers. Yeah. Holy what, shit, that's embarrassing. What, what kind of radio did you guys use? I bet you we still use it in the Marine Corps. Prick 119, I think. Yep, we use it. Oh my god. And the Prick 119 <laughs> was like one generation past Vietnam. It's like yeah. the backpack-sized radio thing. Uh, I, I well, I, I think when I left, they were getting smaller versions. But when I was in, and this is this is yeah, again, we had satellite phones, and then we have backpack-sized fucking radios. That, yeah, like, we still we have, have to learn how to program through a nine button pad. Like, are you really? Yeah, it's yeah, and it's so. So, they got the newer version of that was the 117, and then they got the 117 Golf, which was smaller, but it still used the same basic nine keypad like a cell phone, um, like a you know, a Nokia cell phone, and the buttons didn't work just as bad. And that's what we use. And they were trying to, they were trying to establish, uh, Email communications over radio. That was like the big push while I was in um, that I had to learn was email communications over radio. Uh, they that, wanted that's, me to- that's like, just, just to give people perspective, that's like saying, let's, how to, let, let's figure out how to send an email through Morse code by carrier pigeon one letter at a time. Basically. And that's how, that's how slow it was too. <laughs> yeah. So like, yeah. So, and you know, when you talk about the, at the beginning, when you were talking about the inefficiency of the U S military and how, even no matter how hawkish you are, you have to like, that has to be a part of your argument for bringing at least reigning in the military to an, an extent, no matter how hawkish you are because of how wildly inefficient it is. So even if you are the biggest war hawk out there, no matter if you're a John McCain, Dick Cheney, like loving, like psychopaths, you have to admit, all the glass. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, we've, we've argued with people that are, they're 29 years old. There's this dude, he's 27. He's a Canadian guy. And he's explains himself as a war hawk. And, Loves John Bolton, loves John McCain, and thinks Dick Cheney is a fucking god. I don't know how you grow up in the last 20 years or in the last 30 years thinking that those things are okay. Like, there's something mentally wrong with you in my head if that's a thing. Authoritarian personality disorder. Yeah. And, uh, and he didn't it like... It really is a personality disorder. And, and that, that I, I mean, all I, I, I had an undergraduate or I have an undergraduate degree in psychology. I'm not saying that it's literally a, a DSM-5 diagnosed personality disorder, but on the realm of what modern psychology describes as personality disorders, they, they, they really should identify, and they won't because they're all trying to kiss government's ass, uh, but they really should identify an authoritarian personality disorder, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the busybody sociopath who 
you know, wants to be a central planner and, and enjoys telling other people what to do. And it can be manifest in a lot of different ways, but the bulk, or I should say the chunk of society that suffers from personality, this, the authoritarian personality disorder, one degree or another, they are actually driving statism. They are driving the evil and the violence of the state, the, the Karens of the world manifest through every voter, you know, who votes for the old parties or, or the existing power in other countries. And I, I think part of human evolution right now, uh, and I don't know, you, you want to call us another one of the superheroes on the team of dynamics leading, man, the dynamics. Yeah, the dynamics, the dynamics pushing humanity forward. Um, yeah, I mean, you could, you could look at it that way and uh, it, addressing this element of the paradigm of the zeitgeist of the human psyche that there are still humans on this planet and it's a it's a how you want to count it is subjective but it's a big chunk of the population who because of the trauma that they experienced as children and or conditioning well i'd say trauma uh, or deprivation of love affection food mother's milk whatever deprivation combined with conditioning you know, the deprivation or the trauma creates the psychological soil by which conditioning of statism creates the manifestation of that behavior in unhealthy ways. If you don't have any conditioning and you, you have that, that, that fundamental psychological deficiency, it might drive you to be a Karen, but it won't drive you to be a John Kerry. It's mm. a good point. Yeah. I like that. He seems to know a lot about a lot, dude. <laughs> oh, John Kerry. Also, trauma, deprivation, conditioning, and marrying into a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, you got to. That's a big part. So, wait. Uh, so, what were you at like a lot? Like, how many different protests did you go to after you got out of the Marine Corps? Do you know well, how yeah, many? It's funny. Uh, I went to some before, um, and this may be a more interesting story, but I'll, I'll bring it back to answering your question. And that, yeah. if you remember before the invasion, it was, I think, um, you know, the invasion was March 19, 2004, sorry, 2003. We did the fourth anniversary in 2007. That was my, my first protest with the Rock Veterans Against the War, so to speak. But in February, of 2003, I was a reservist. I was in college in Claremont, California. When I went to the, there was a national day, really an international day, I think of student walkouts. And I didn't go, I didn't speak, you know, I was just another student attending. Um, but it, it became something, I bought, so I was like against the invasion, but I was like, uh, these are all the fucking dirty hippies. I don't wanna be a part of this shit, you know? I was like, this is just dumb. Like I'm here as a libertarian, you know, very moderate or sort of libertarian leaning moderate. And uh, it just was like, this is not going to be worth it for the United States. Like, in my collectivist nationalist view, I was like, this is dumb. This is a bad idea. Let's not invade Iraq. And uh, I, I, I fell for the basic propaganda. You know, I fell for the basic narrative of weapons of mass destruction and Saddam Hussein is a threat, you know, blah, 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 all that shit. So the narrative after the invasion was something like, for me, we're cleaning up our mess and this is responsible for policy. So I volunteered to go and I volunteered specifically to go in civil affairs because I wanted to be the tip of the spear rebuilding Iraq, you know, and, 
part of the disillusion was finding that it was really an infantry driven occupation, right? It was infantry had areas of responsibility. I mean, if you were there in artillery, you're just, you know, in the rear with the gear at some fob and you never leave the wire unless you're, you know, your, your unit becomes, well, everybody at some point becomes provisional MPs, right? Military police doing some kind of provisional infantry patrol, whatever, you know, and at least in the Marines, any kind of combat arms gets, gets uh, yeah. rotated through different duties. But artillery, the artillery work, you're not like going out in combat. You're just chilling there, manning the post. And, oh, they called in fire, like, what, pretty rarely probably, you know, um, yeah. at this point. Uh, even when we were there, it's not like art- artillery was just an excuse to spend money and bring people in. Like, we had drones in the sky. We could see what their yeah. specter gunships. Why the fuck do you have, a, like, major Marine Corps artillery units dragging M198 howitzers <laughs> from Vietnam into Iraq and Afghanistan? Are you fucking this? You're doing something else, aren't you? Oh, yeah, you're just trying to fuck us all over. Okay. Um, so then I got out, and uh, I, I actually didn't wake up for quite a while, really. Uh, I volunteered to go back uh, in in 2007 and instead, or 2006, instead got in trouble for having brought a pistol back the first time and did a year mowing <laughs> long pants in barracks at Camp Pendleton as a pissed-off sergeant with combat experience decorations they decorated me it's like they threw yeah. tinsel at me i got home or something yeah you were um, a christmas tree and, yeah and i and i and i spoke arabic and i'm like what the f-? and and i can't say like i'm i mean I'm, I'm pretty smart i'm pretty well educated but i'm not like naturally inclined to be woke i'm not that clever you know, and, and it's very I want to maintain that framing of humility for everybody because we're up against the masters of deception, the, the best human history has ever seen with the greatest technology of control at their fingertips. Uh, of course, we're going to be fooled. Now, it's easier to fool someone than to convince them that they have been fooled. Sometimes the more you have invested in time and energy and, and emotional investment uh, in, in a belief system, the harder it is to change it. And that's true, especially for people who have put their lives on the line for government. So I got out after a year of that. I got busted down from sergeant to corporal the day after they gave me a, a Navy commendation medal for my first deployment. <laughs> and uh, I was just pissed off when I got out. Like I had as much <laughs> face layer as I could get away with. My hair was three inches you know all around uh minimal buzz you know i was i was that i was that guy getting out like man just getting out i just get the fuck out of here were you, you know? were you shit hot before were you like before oh, all that yeah. happened oh. were you shit yeah, hot no, i was super shit hot i was like all good pros and cons you know super and you, you were like swords, like all, hair all everything NCIs. oh yeah yeah i was like giving classes as an nco meritorious uh sar- promotion to sergeant in a combat zone, incidentally, as it hit the system, but it was that I had earned in my time before that. Uh, but yeah, meritorious uh, sergeant. Uh, yeah, I was. I was. A, I was we, a reserve sergeant so volunteering typo, civil affairs at the time. Typo has this theory, and I think it's been playing out pretty true. I mean, we try to bring a lot of veterans on this podcast. We're gonna have to have you on again because an hour and thirty minutes Come isn't gonna here, cut it. Your person interview. Yeah, I'm down. Let's I'm do down. It. We'll have to do that. Um, but, uh, we typo has this theory that, you know, the ones that were shit hot, you know, the ones that like kind of drank the Kool-Aid like real hard, 
um, when they Pete get Hexeth. out. What was that? Pete Hegseth. You know, sorry, you know, the Fox News guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew him from before he got on Fox. We were like, really? I had some fun videos. Sorry to interrupt. I, yeah, no. he's like the archetype of that for sure. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I know exactly who you're talking about. But yeah, so we're, we're the people that drink the Kool Aid a lot while they're in, and then like something happens while they're in, and they kind of it turns and they come out at the end of it. And it, especially once they get out, maybe a, a year or two removed, they just totally like the system is fucked. Like the system is fucked. Yeah, Pete, or, they, or you get your head deeper up your ass so far yeah, you can't get it out like Pete. Yeah, it's one or the other. But that's the thing. So like, so for me, like I, I never really drank the Kool-Aid, but I played the part that I drank the Kool-Aid really well. Like I had the haircut. I was, you know, just a shit hot Marine. Great fucking. Um, it was your thing. You were a Marine to the core. Yeah. And, and yeah. And I actually believed in what, like I thought what we were doing, like I believed that we were helping people. And then as I was going through my Marine Corps career, I realized like, we're not fucking doing shit. We're making a lot of things worse. And as I came out the end of it, I was like, well, it was before my four years was up. And I was like, yo, this is bullshit and everything's fucking crap. And the guys around me and my, because <laughs> I went to 311 for only a year and a half. Uh, it was the last, because I was in Japan for two years. So my last unit, they were just like, yo, how are you even like this? And I, like Japan just turned me off to everything. And they're like, how did you survive being a Marine? How are you a sergeant in four years uh, and did all this stuff? But you fucking hate the Marine Corps and don't agree with anything that we're doing. And you don't fucking drink the Kool-Aid anymore. And I was like, because I know you guys are all fucking liars. Like, I know you're liars. Yeah. And they were just like, oh, shit. And I, I had a really bad time at that unit because I was done drinking the Kool-Aid and I was done pretending to drink the Kool-Aid. But typos, I've, for, from how it's been so far, typos theory has played out very true where it's like the shit hot guys once they get out and that one thing turned them while yeah. they were in, they're the most anti-government or anti-militarism they can be. Yeah, my yeah. theory my theory was like the people that give the Marine Corps more of themselves come out and are more against it after they get out because they did give a lot to the Marine Corps. They gave, they gave everything. They gave it their best. I'm, they're trying to be the best Marine that they can. And then they realize life on the line. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Enthusiastically. And one, yes. Yes. Willingly. So almost. And how they say it selfishly, like you, sacrificially. You, you did, yeah. You did everything you You gave everything you had, like literally would have gave your life. Instant unthinking obedience. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And you, and you rationalize in your own mind for years telling you that this is for the good, even though all along the way, there were signs all the way up there that was telling you otherwise, but you still kept going for it. So like my theory was yeah. people that go like that yeah. you, uh, when they get out, they're the ones that are the most anti-war anti-military in general. Maybe they're not a libertarian, but they're, they're really, really against it. See that That's our big hidden agenda with home front battle buddies, you know, is that, we want to empower the vets in that situation who haven't found their voice yet too, to be able to speak out. And with home front battle buddies itself, we maintain absolute political neutrality. When I'm speaking, you know, as a rep and for the organization, the most political thing I, I would ever say is I hope this is the last generation that, that we have to do this for, you know, yeah. uh, I, I think that's, I think it's a pretty unifying 
it's pretty hard to say, oh yeah, let's keep fucking up our best and brightest and most willing to serve as warriors and you tell tell them that they're fighting for freedom and not give it to them when they come home. You know, no, we're gonna we're gonna end that with this generation. And I think things like Homefront Battle Buddies and this conversation, your podcast, you know, bringing vets together and and being that voice so that that the world can learn the lessons of our mistakes so they are not repeated is absolutely critical to human progress. Yeah, one of the big turnoffs for me was when I realized that um, kids that served at eighteen their children can now serve and go to the same place that they did. And I was like, holy fuck. Like that wasn't, that wasn't a realization when I joined in 2012, I was 18 years old, you know, like that didn't even come into my thought process. But while I was in and I was like, holy shit. And some of the kids that were coming in when I was getting out, I was like, you are literally a year or two removed from your dad being a United States Marine Corps veteran in this war. Like that was insane to me. And I, I like, that's why I really like what you're doing with the home front battle buddies. Like that's a big deal. Like if that's, I love that message where it's like, I hope that this will be the last generation that we'll have to do something like this with, because the way we've done it, it first off, it's an extreme like mark on if it's not for people, it's an extreme mark on government. And if it's not for people, you're wrong. And I'm sorry. But like at that point, like we just have to, we have to never let something like this happen again because it just destroyed um, our society in a certain way, especially our young men and women that have gone over to Iraq and Afghanistan. Yeah. No, I remember in 2019, we're sending troops into combat who weren't even born on 9 11. Oh, that was a bit of a mind fuck. Yeah, it's wild. It's so wild. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it's crazy too. I mean, honestly, thinking about it, like I was six, six years old, or yeah, six years, six or seven years old when the towers fell. Like, I barely remember it. I even talk about how, like, I didn't even fully understand what just happened. Like, I, I how, how old are you two fuckers? I'm 27. Yeah, 26. Okay. Jeez. Yeah, I was six (laughs) years old, man. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And then I remember, I remember when I joined that, uh, like at boot camp or whatever, like they showed the towers like on fire, like in boot camp. They're like, how many of you is this why you joined? And like two thirds of the class raised their hand. And I was like, oh my God. There's like a whole one third of the class that don't even remember it or don't even didn't even care yeah. about it but they're signing up just as much and that's what wild that, that's one of the other reasons why we started the podcast we just wanted to we wanted a place where if you know some young youth did find our podcast and that's one of the highlights of doing this podcast is that they have and they told us like i was about to join the military and after listening to you guys talk about it and what you guys say about it i decided not to yeah that's that i mean that's so satisfying and i i've done a lot of videos that you know take on that some of that mythology of militarism and, and i still get emails um i've done videos about getting out as a conscientious objector and you know i get regular messages from guys who are i got a message from a navy doctor uh last week who's like yeah i'm getting out as a conscientious objector can you help and it's like uh yeah, well, you know, what can I do? And I can send him some content for his uh, 
some material because he, he was inspired by, you know, the libertarian perspective to get out as a conscientious objector. And so, you know, I've, I've written a couple of like recommendation letters for, for guys, uh, conscientious objector packages. And so, you know, I shared him that letter and I was like, yeah, all right, cool. I'm going to use this. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's, that's, that's really sweet. cool. That's something that we, so we just, we're pretty, we're pretty new at like trying to make this like a bigger thing, uh, like our podcast in general, but that's one thing that we should definitely put on our podcast type or on our website typo is the conscientious objector and then links to yeah, the home from battle buddies. Well, yeah. And uh, well, we're about to get our website up. I don't know what its status is at this moment, but it, we just got our seed funding and we're very excited about that. We should have a, we have home from battle buddies.com park. Uh, but also giwriteshotline.org. GIWritesHotline, that's a big one. Really a, a great sort of neutral resource. And it's for, excuse me, as the title implies, GI Rights Hotline. It's an actual 800 number you can call if you're on active duty or considering enlisting or in any other legal relationship with the military. And, you, you know, you want some outside consultation, but especially in getting out uh, as a conscientious objector they will uh, help walk you through that process. Awesome. Never awesome. heard of that when I was in the military. Never <laughs> heard <it>. of that. <laughs> no, they talked to you about Smedley Butler too, didn't they? Yeah. They did. They did. Yeah. We just Only... we just had a conversation about that where uh, they mentioned Smedley Butler a lot, but they never tell you about Wars Racket. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Most decorated Marine. And uh, that's how they frame it and all this and, like how he was a World War One and World War Two veteran, and he did all these great things, but they never talk about water, what he did. All the banana yep. wars, bronze yep. stars, Google heart. Yeah, he's got it all, and then but they never, never talk about what he did after he got out of the Marine Corps. Never <laughs> mentioned it. Wild, wild. Well, uh, Typo, you got any more questions? I think it's probably time for us to start wrapping it up so everybody can get out of here. Yeah, I just um, what uh, after you know, one Marine Corps veteran to another, what keeps you going? What keeps you going in this uh, pursuit for liberty and, uh, you know, just helping veterans in general and building a community? What, what keeps you going and doing that? I mean, the same reasons that I enlisted in the first place. I want to have my life on the line for something I believe in that means something. And I have just grown and matured. And I, I hope that people can learn from my mistakes and grow and mature a lot faster than I did in, in my own slow way. And we're getting to apply the lessons of our experience as what I hope is humanity's last generation of combat veteran. And that we are on the verge of that and so many other beautiful things, the idea of war and militarism and armed conflict is so painfully and tragically embarrassingly archaic that I, I think unless I was, uh, you know, a, a, in a lab curing cancer or designing the rocket that's going to get the colony to Mars going, you know, I, I can't think of anything more important to serve humanity than challenging militarism as directly as we can. Well, that is awesome. <laughs> and that Love inspires it. me. <laughs> yep. That's, 
So I think that's a great way to end this. Um, is there any plugs that you want to give out before we uh, head out of here? Yeah, of course. Well, I'm, I'm live. I got a great team behind me with my podcast now live uh, Monday through Friday, 8 to 10 a.m. Pacific. That's Adam versus the man live at Adam versus the man.com. We broadcast on a bunch of different channels because you can't trust any of them. Uh, not because you can't trust them, but you can't trust government not to fuck with them and use them to censor you as has happened to us so many times. Uh, we've been a lot of fun and challenge. You know, I, I, I won't compl- I won't take this opportunity to complain about the censorship, but you can look into the numbers even publicly on my YouTube channel for yourself if you're interested. And uh, yeah, quarter million subscribers and then videos with like zero views. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. YouTube, GovTube, whatever. But no, it's, it's uh, when you have a message that you believe in and you can speak it consistently. And like I said, it's, it's cause I have this, I have a great team behind me now. I have a great remote production team. I do my podcast from in my office in front of this little black curtain here in Gardenia. And I have a producer and team of co-hosts and whole producers club. It's, it's amazing. And, my main website is thefreedomline.com. You can get my book there for free in every digital format possible, including audiobooks. So please check that out. It's 100 pages or uh, three hours and seven minutes is an audiobook. And it's the, uh, the ultimate primer on libertarianism and, uh, you know, how we apply it. And I think it's these things that I bring to the conversation <clears throat> around libertarianism as a political philosophy, which is really an anti political philosophy, a philosophy of of ethics and, and applying ethics consistently to politics. Uh, but combining that with a, a positive historical perspective and uh, also a message of personal empowerment and how this relates to emotional freedom and psychological freedom and freedom to, to live to your potential and a lifestyle based on your values. It's not just, hey, look at how fucked up the world is every day for two hours a day. You know, we do Good News Friday Every Friday, the cutting edge of human optimization and technology and space exploration and aliens and understanding nature. And we, we end every show with uh, good news on this day in history. So we, we have a lot of fun with it and uh, invite you all to join. Uh, but if you're at the end of this production, thanks for listening. And I want to remind you all that biting the bullet does not have major corporate sponsorship because they're not here sucking bank your dick every day like uh you know most mainstream media and to do what we do requires an active and engaged audience so thank you for being that you know if if you can't put your money where your eyes and your ears are at least put a few clicks and share this and share what's important to you and you know be active and engaged as a conscientious consumer of information and supporter of independent media Love it. Thank you, man. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on. It's been awesome to talk to you. Next time we do this, we got to do it. We got to do it fucking live, right? In person. Yeah. In that sounds yep. so cool. I'm so excited like for that. that. Fuck it. We'll do it live. All right, guys. Well, thank you guys again for uh, joining us on Biting the Bullet. I hope you guys enjoyed this talk with Adam Kokesh and all those links and stuff to his uh, everything that he just mentioned. We're going to put it in the show notes so you guys can find it pretty easily. Um, thanks again for coming on Adam. And, uh, that's the fucking, Oh, you got something else? Go ahead. As I sign off every one of my own shows, peace and love y'all choose happiness and be excellent to each other. And how we sign off. That's the fucking shit show boys. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you.